Savitri, The Book of Yoga, Book 7, Canto 3, The Entry into the Inner Countries. It's on pages 495 through 498. Savitri has traveled through her vital being on her way to find her soul. Now she's going to go into her mental being. She did not find the influence of her soul or any trace of the presence of her soul in the energies of her vital being. Everything was rushing madly on its own way to fulfill its own desires and to get what it wanted for itself. It looked like a mass of confusion filled with all the desires and the hungers of life. In her inner vision, Savitri saw the energies of life in her being as huge, uncontrolled, crashing waves rushing around her in every direction. But she kept her inner quietude. Sri Aurobindo told us that through it all she moved not, plunged not in the vain waves, and she came through the experience successfully. When Savitri's higher being first spoke to her about finding her soul, it told her that she had to stop indulging herself in the lower vital energies of grief and hopelessness over the coming death of Sachivan. It told her to prepare herself to face the destined task that she took birth to do. This preparation is finding her soul, and she was told to seek God's meaning in her depths. The voice said, quote, Conquer thy heart's throbs. Let thy heart beat in God. Thy nature shall be the engine of his works. Thy voice shall house the mightiness of his word. It also told her to find her soul in matter's body. So, in matter's body, as Savitri is traveling, 
She has conquered her heart's throbs. She has been through the vital. Sri Aurobindo told us that she kept God in her heart and her prayer and the great name on her lips. She traveled with truth's image in her sheltered heart. She's ready now to do the other things the great voice told her to do. It said, quote, Cast thought from thee, that nimble ape of light, in his tremendous hush, stilling thy brain, his vast truth wake within, and know, and see. Cast from thee sense that veils thy spirit's sight. In the enormous emptiness of thy mind, thou shalt see the Eternal's body in the world. Know him in every voice heard by thy soul. In the world's contacts, meet his single touch. All things shall fold thee into his embrace. Now Savitri has to travel through her mind. Because she's looking for the presence of her soul by going through matter's body, she will not go into the higher mental planes. These are planes that can send thoughts into more developed minds. But here, in this journey, she moves through what Sri Aurobindo calls the mortal mind. This is the mind that everybody has. He describes it all in great detail in King Ashwapati's Journey to the Soul of the World, in Book 2, in Canto 2, The Kingdoms and Godheads of the Little Mind. And he describes the higher parts of the mind in Canto 3, The Kingdoms and Godheads of the Greater Mind. All the same facts are here in Savitri's experience, but hard to recognize. They're in a very condensed expression. And somehow, we feel Sri Aurobindo's sense of humor here. He's showing us how the mind is rigidly and relentlessly organized and limited. If we are doing the yoga or just reading Savitri, because we want true peace and wideness and light, if we were afraid of being taken over or lost in the wildlife energies of the vital, now we're going to be bored and feel imprisoned in the rules and limits of the mortal mind. Our human mind works like our human vital in the sense that it receives information from the outside. When our mind is more developed, Higher thinking comes from the higher mental planes, and it brings us subtle truths which cannot be proved by material fact. But the very nature of mind, lower or higher, is a limitation. In Book 2, Sri Aurobindo explains that our lower mind, our mortal mind, is limited to working with information brought to it by our senses. This is why the voice told Savitri, Cast from thee sense that veils thy spirit's sight. There are three general ways that our mind functions here, that everybody's mind functions. The first one is always going over what's already done, 
what the mind already knows, and the mind is holding on to the past. The second way the mortal mind thinks has no stability. In contrast to the first one, which is only stability, it jumps at everything. It makes guesses, and it thinks all is true that flatters its own hopes. And the attempt is more charming to it than the result. The third way of thinking is reasoning. Our reason creates fixed rules for us to view the world by and fixed rules for us to live by. So we can say that we are either clinging to the past, guessing about things, or making our own rules about how to live. And all this is based on information brought by our imperfect senses from our imperfect outside experiences. No wonder all spiritual teachings tell us that we have to go beyond the mind. Mother has explained that we have to live by reason until we make enough spiritual progress to realize our soul and have our mind function with the soul's wisdom, with the soul's vision and consciousness. In Book 2, Sri Aurobindo speaks about the levels of higher mind, but they all still have the limitations of trying to organize what is received. And the complete consciousness of the soul is still lacking. It's just not possible the way the mind is made and the way the mind thinks. Whenever Sri Aurobindo teaches us about the mind in Savitri, he always ends by describing its limitations and pointing us forward beyond the mind. But even though we have to get beyond our mind, we should not abandon the mind. Our mind should be a conscious working instrument, something that works well in the service of the highest truth. If we sit in meditation and quiet our mind so we can receive the highest, then we have to bring it all back into life in the world. The mind should function as an instrument to keep information in order and to receive properly. Here are a few things that Sri Aurobindo tells us that Savitri finds in the world of mind. Quote, Then, Journeying through the self's wide hush, she came into a brilliant, ordered space. There, life was parked in an armed tranquility. A chain was on her strong, insurgent heart. Tamed to the modesty of a measured pace, she kept no more her vehement stride and rush. A cold stolidity bound the riot of sense. Her spirit's bounds they cast in rigid lines. The reason's balanced reign kept order and peace. Her will lived closed in adamantine walls of law. Imagination was prisoned in a fort. Life was consigned to a safe, level path. A temperate, vigilant spirit governed life. Its acts were tools of considering thought 
or the careful reason's diplomatic moves testing the means to some prefigured end. It's clear that the free running and the free flying and the playing of the life forces in man's untamed vital are tamed and controlled when they are in man's mind. All through Savitri, Sri Aurobindo relates whatever he is saying to spiritual teachings and to spiritual progress. As Savitri moves through the mind, Sri Aurobindo says, quote, The Spirit's almighty freedom was not here. They gave to the soul for throne a bench of law, for kingdom a small world of rule and line. Even the idea's ample sweep was cut into a system, chained to fixed pillars of thought or riveted to matter's solid ground. Or else the soul was lost in its own heights. He tells us what happens to spiritual life when it is limited to thinking at this level of mind. Quote, Action and thought cemented made a wall of small ideals limiting the soul. Even meditation mused on a narrow seat, and worship turned to an exclusive God, to the universal in a chapel prayed whose doors were shut to the universe. A rational religion dried the heart. It planned a smooth life's acts with ethics rule or offered a cold and flameless sacrifice. The first major step in Sri Aurobindo's yoga is for us to realize our soul. Here he makes it really clear that we cannot realize our soul by using our orderly and organized mind. Savitri is not affected by the mental worlds. She continues to move through them all, searching for her soul, because thus far into mind she has not experienced the soul's presence or its influence. This program begins and ends with this Sanskrit mantra from the Mundaka Upanishad. It was translated into English by Sri Aurobindo, and it was used in Sunil Savitri music for Book 2, Canto 11, for King Ashwapati's entry into the greater mind which can receive higher thoughts. We use it here because it describes what's happening to Savitri and what will happen to her. Savitri has been told that when she is pure of vital influence, she can go beyond the mind. She will see God everywhere. She is coming closer to realizing that goal. So far, she's seen most of what the mind does. Next time, she's going to see how it's possible to believe that mind is the end of the journey. This mantra tells us that the only way the mind can experience God 
is when the inner being is purified and when the currents of the life force, including what is brought by the five senses, making the fivefold entry into the mind, when all this is pure, and when the heart is pure, which means that all this can receive what is beyond them and coming to them, then the self can be known by using the mind. When our inner being is purified, then our mind and our vital can function properly to fulfill our lives. Here is Sri Aurobindo's English translation of the mantra. I cannot seize, speech cannot grasp him, nor these other godheads. Not by austerity can he be held, nor by works. Only when the inner being is purified by a glad serenity of knowledge, then, indeed, meditating, one beholds the spirit indivisible. This self is subtle and has to be known by a thought mind into which the life force has made its fivefold entry. All the conscious heart of creatures is shot through and interwoven with the currents of the life force. And only when it is purified can this self manifest its power. Whatever world the man whose inner being is purified sheds the light of his mind upon, and whatsoever desires he cherishes, that world he takes by conquest, and those desires. Then let whosoever seeks for success and well-being approach with homage a self-knower. Savitri, the Book of Yoga, The Entry into the Inner Countries, Part 3. Then, journeying forward through the self's wide hush, she came into a brilliant ordered space. There life dwelt, parked in an armed tranquility. A chain was on her strong, insurgent heart. Tamed to the modesty of a measured pace, she kept no more her vehement stride and rush. She had lost the careless majesty of her muse and the ample grandeur of her regal force. Curbed were her mighty pomps, her splendid waist, sobered the revels of her bacchant play, cut down were her squanderings in desires bizarre, coerced her despot will, her fancy's dance. A cold stolidity bound the riot of sense. A royalty without freedom was her lot. The sovereign throned obeyed her ministers. Her servant's mind and sense governed her house. Her spirit's bounds they cast in rigid lines. 
and guarding with a phalanx of armored rules, the reason's balanced reign kept order and peace. Her will lived closed in adamant walls of law. Coerced was her force by chains that feigned to adorn. Imagination was prisoned in a fort, her wanton and licentious favorite. Reality's poise and reason's symmetry were set in its place sentineled by marshaled facts. They gave to the soul for throne a bench of law, for kingdom a small world of rule and line. The age's wisdom shriveled to scoliest lines shrank, patterned into a copybook device. The spirit's almighty freedom was not here. A schoolman mind had captured life's large space, but chose to live in bare and paltry rooms, parked off from the too vast, dangerous universe, fearing to lose its soul in the infinite. Even the idea's ample sweep was cut into a system, chained to fixed pillars of thought or riveted to matter's solid ground. Or else the soul was lost in its own heights. Obeying the ideal's high-browed law, thought based a throne on unsubstantial air. Disdaining Earth's flat triviality, it barred reality out to live in its dreams. Or all stepped into a systemed universe. Life's empire was a managed continent. Its thoughts an army, ranked and disciplined. Uniformed, they kept the logic of their fixed place at the bidding of the trained centurion mind. Or each stepped into its station like a star, or marched through fixed and constellated heavens, or kept its feudal rank among its peers in the sky's unchanging cosmic hierarchy. Or, like a hybrid maiden with chaste eyes, forbidden to walk unveiled the public ways, she must in close, secluded chambers move, her feelings in cloisters live, or gardened paths. Life was consigned to a safe level path. It dared not tempt the great and difficult heights, or climb to be neighbor to a lonely star, or skirt the danger of the precipice, or tempt the foam-curled breaker's perilous laugh, adventure's lyrist, danger's amateur, or into her chamber call some flaming god, or leave the world's bounds, and, where no limits are, meet with the heart's passion the adorable, or set the world ablaze with the inner fire. Or, 
kneeled to the bodiless impersonal, a mind shut to the cry and fire of love. A rational religion dried the heart. It planned a smooth life's acts with ethics rule, or offered a cold and flameless sacrifice. The sacred book lay on its sanctified desk, wrapped in interpretation's silken strings. A credo sealed up its spiritual sense. Tam tam lokam 